I have a thought experiment. A thought experiment, okay. What if to save a human life, it would cost you one billion dollars? What would you do? It. It's just a regular person. We all as a society. As a society, you, you should we save a person's life? Depends on who the person is. <laughs> right like it depends like does that person have knowledge that saves other people if it's just like an ordinary person who has nothing special going on and we haven't put them in that position and it's just you know it's it's by happenstance and luck that they're in a bad spot no we don't save them what about one million a million we almost certainly do okay how about 500 you know like where where's the line uh the u.s about five million dollars per life if I remember correctly, between what, five what and about million. what about in Canada? That's similar. The you see it; it shows up all the time in the uh, whenever they're dealing with risk, because you know you gotta you gotta make a justification. Like, okay, so you you're gonna do a recall. The recall is gonna cost five hundred million dollars. Uh, how many lives do you save with that? And at what point are you responsible to have to do it? Right, and and there is a number. They 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 come up with it. And it's somewhere between five and ten million dollars currently. If I so, does that number carry through to our healthcare system? Oh, absolutely. There, there's limits to what we are willing to do. Um, and the other thing is, in the in the healthcare system, there's so much low hanging fruit that we don't do very well already. That it's kind of silly to start chasing after these high expensive targets when you know. We don't spend enough money on smoking cessation, for example. Like if you want, yeah. if you want to just like best bang for your buck, like we should spend more money on smoking cessation. We should spend, and, yeah. And I bet we could do a lot with keeping people from getting sick. Yeah, I mean, it's way, way easier to to try to like, you know, improve the culture and the lifestyles that people live than it is to try to fix them once things have gone terribly wrong. Are you following any, like this anti-aging research very closely? Uh, somewhat depends on the, I'm aware of a couple of drugs that they're looking into. Um, none of them have proven, uh, benefits yet, but there are studies ongoing at the moment. Which ones are you, do you, are you thinking of in particular? Uh, metformin is actually one of the metformin, more interesting yeah. ones. Because, like, we have a lot of people on metformin already. and the, the, For diabetes, right? Yeah. And the study that showed up originally was these people who had low-level diabetes, who were put on metformin, were living longer than their normal counterparts. And it's like... <laughs> like, non they're non-diabetic counterparts. Yeah, exactly. That's hilarious. And it's like, okay, well, something's up here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go to the store and get four blueberry pies. Yeah. And I mean... And that's just it. Like, how how could the diabetic person be living longer? It's like, well, maybe maybe it's the drug that's that's doing something. If it, and and it, and actually, they do have some pretty good logic behind it because first of all, it does cause some weight loss, um, but it also modifies uh, insulin breakdown. And insulin breakdown is very closely related to growth hormone, um, so you end up with a lot. Like, you're messing with some hormones that are. Uh, that would logically potentially have some effects. I, I mean, there is a there is a mechanism there that could potentially work, um, but you know. And the other thing is, is that the, whenever you're talking about age uh, aging research, is a lot of it is putting yourself into a biological state of preservation, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're actually stronger or faster or really living the best possible life when you're in that state. Sure, sure. So like, there's lots of compounds in meat. 
that make you like way stronger and way gives you'll give you a lot more vitality, but that's maybe not the best thing if you want to live to be 150. Exactly. Um, and there's, there's a lot of stuff like that. Um, I mean, really like if you want like evidence, the, uh, like as far as physical activities go, you know, they've, they've done the research. The best physical activity is tennis. You should go out and play. Oh, tennis. really? Yeah. It's worth, well, it's kind of hit. Oh, like it's kind of high intensity. It's well, that's part of it. High intensity, but you know, they were comparing it to soccer. They were comparing it to, uh, going to the gym on a regular basis. Uh, they were comparing it to running. They're comparing it to cycling. Um, so basically if you play tennis on a regular basis, it's worth an extra decade. Oh, wow. That's incredible. Yeah. How is it for your joints though? Not too bad. Cause you're actually, it's short, short spurts and you right. can continue to do it until you're, until you're quite elderly. Like my, my grandfather, he's 87. He still plays tennis on a regular basis. Right. Right. Um, he so doesn't, there is someone that I could beat. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and that's the thing. Like you can still, you could like, you could, even if you're not that mobile, you can still cover enough of the court just by reach that you can still sort of play. Uh, you just have to, sure. be, as long as you're able to walk, you can, you can, and you can play, I mean, you can play and lose also. Yeah, exactly. You don't have to, you don't have to be winning every, every match. Um, some of the other ones though, uh, the other racket sports were also quite good, uh, but they didn't give you like, I think if I remember the study, it was tennis was 9.7. <laughs> uh, uh, badminton was 6.4. Um, soccer was like four and a half. Cycling and running was like three, two, three years. Yeah, two, yeah. three years. And going to the gym was worth one. Yeah. Well, going to the gym, I feel, would be more beneficial just for um, like mobility and for being like as an anti frailty measure. Yes. So, you know, you can stand up, or if you fall, you're not going to get hurt. Yeah. And actually, to be honest, the when it comes to the benefits of these physical activities, you notice the team sports and the ones that are most social are also correlated with <laughs> with longer lifespans, right? Well, that's what I've seen too. Like I've seen it all laid out in, on a graph and like having friends is like an order of magnitude greater than smoking. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, loneliness is not a great thing. You got to yeah. you got to have a social social system in place. And this is why people who go to church live longer. Yeah. I think it's just God's will. <laughs> uh one of the one of the Pharmacy, reasons that, pharmaceuticals. Yeah, pharmaceuticals. <laughs> I mean, but this is the thing when we talk about pharmaceuticals, like medications, they make a difference. Like they're important, but compared to doing the things that actually allow you to live a long and healthy life, they they actually are relatively they're 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 band aid solutions. They don't a lot of the time they don't they're not cures, right? It's not. Yeah. It's one thing if you're talking about antibiotics where you have an infection. There's a specific like. Well, that's an acute problem. Yeah. But if you're talking about chronic illness, which the vast majority of our medications are used for, it's you're not you're not fixing the problem, you're treating the symptoms, right? And so, I mean, we already spend a significant amount on our on healthcare. What is it? 18% of our GDP, I believe, maybe 11? Uh, 11 or 12 in Canada. In the states, okay, 11, 18. Okay, yeah, maybe that's where I'm why I'm getting my numbers confused. We spend 11 per, That's amazing that we spend one in seven percent less of a smaller GDP per capita. Yeah. Well, this is this is what uh, free market versus, uh, um, you know, uh, single pair. Yeah, it makes a huge difference. And this, and I was going to go into this a bit, is that healthcare is messed up from an economics perspective because it's a it's an inelastic demand. You have yeah. the the customer has no ability to negotiate. 
you can charge them whatever you yeah. want. And the, and the problem is, is that the only solution to that is, okay, well, we have to group all the customers together, but then the customer is no longer incentivized to not spend as much as they might. Right, right, because it doesn't hurt to, to spend. You, you don't have to make decisions to conserve. You're either all in in the Canadian system or you're like, you know, all out, like fixing your own broken arm in the United States. Exactly. And, uh, and, and the problem is even your halfway systems, like the United States, they spend more on public health care than Canada does as a percentage of GDP. It's not amazing. It's, Isn't it's that amazing? Ins- I don't, I, yeah, Americans don't believe it when you tell them that. Yeah, they, they've succeeded in spending more. Well, that's the thing. Like, it's because you, you think they about- have this private system that's driving the pricing mechanism, but then out of compassion, they're guaranteeing care to a certain percentage of their population. Well, and not just as percent. At the rates set by private. Yeah, but not just a small set of the population is like 80% of your healthcare dollars will be spent in the last two years of your life. Yeah. Right. So in the United States, they guarantee everyone has Medicare if you're over 65. Yeah. So that's like, which is when all the, everything happens. Yeah, so like, that's amazing that they'll just go because all they're doing is saying they're going to fix people's broken ankles. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. I, and it's, it's just, it's, which is nothing. It's bizarre. Like it costs like, nothing. You look at, you look at the U S system and it makes no damn sense. And it's just, it's bizarre that there's even an argument about it down there, but they, they're tied up. And yeah, I, again, I mean, it would be a different thing if you had to, if they weren't already paying for their senior citizens, then maybe there is a mathematical, economical, heartless, but ultimately it's in the, it's in the greatest good argument for having a privatized healthcare system. Yeah. But it's almost like they're cho- they've chosen the worst of both worlds. Yeah. Also, the other thing is, at least in the United States, the quality of care and the expensive care are inversely correlated. What? How is that? So you go to... It doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah. So this is one of the things where doing more isn't actually necessarily better. Like, when... In, like, in the countries where doctors have struck because they're public... Uh, you know, they're, they're a public system, uh, the death rate goes down during the strikes. You're going to have to elucidate that one. So the short answer is, is that people get procedures and procedures have a death rate. Okay. So. Okay. You, you, oh. Right. So like the people take a risk. So they're just proving those deaths. Yeah. Though. So those I people mean, like, die. you're going to get a procedure, like obviously it's worth the risk to you to get that procedure. Or are you saying that there, there is an incentive for them to have those procedures that they wouldn't otherwise have? And this is, and this is what happens in the States is that you start getting, when, when it becomes a business, uh, and the doctors get organized in a way that they're trying to just make the most money instead of do right by the patient. Oh yeah. They, so it's like, it's like the old quote, like never ask a general if you need a war. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Never ask a barber if you need a haircut. Right. And this is, and this is one of the, and this is another broken aspect of the healthcare system is that you have infer what's called information asymmetry. The doctors know everything. The patient knows nothing. Right. Yeah. And so how, how can the patient make any reasonable decision? You almost need your own, you almost need your own doctor, lawyer type, like a defense attorney doctor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you you almost, like that's the thing. You almost need that. And it's ridiculous that that's necessary. So in the United States, the best, uh, best known, uh, like clinics are like, um, you've got the Mayo Clinic. Uh, there's a Cleveland Clinic. Uh, there's a, they're all up in the north, north, uh, northwestern or northeastern United States, or in the um, Midwest. A lot of them are in the Midwest, and they actually run very, very cheaply because they they tend to go on a minimalist side of things, and they don't hesitate to put the patient first. Um, 
Meanwhile, you can go down to Southern Texas and they're spending more money per person on healthcare than the average income of some of the areas. That's amazing. Yeah, I read I read a fantastic article not that long ago about this. I'm just I'm just like shaking my head, going, "Oh my god, what are they doing?" Like, I mean, on the one hand, like we have such a productive society, it's kind of it's cool that we can take care of people so well. But on the other, that's madness. Yes, like I mean, there, there's no way that can be profitable in the long term. <laughs> like, yeah. how, how can that continue? Like, and it's literally like, oh, the average income of this area is like twelve thousand dollars a year because it's a relatively poor area. What's what's the average spending per person? It's like 15,000. It's like what? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> and the thing is is that the only way to make any money in the, that area is to be in healthcare. Yeah, I mean, you see that to a certain extent in the Maritimes as well. Hmm. Like there's there's just a lot of people in like healthcare and like care of seniors. It's a big part of the economy. Mm-hmm. And, and and it's supported by transfer payments from other provinces, but in fairness, I mean, a lot of the people in the other provinces come from the Maritimes, and their their senior citizens live in the Maritimes. <laughs> yeah, which is kind of a missing part that I, I feel like doesn't get expressed very much when people out west are complaining about equalization payments. Yeah, it's like, well, how many of you Westerners? Well, how many of the, how many around how many of the people around you are Easterners who are just there temporarily, or who or who have moved there but have left their parents behind? Yeah, and their parents need medical care. Yeah, exactly where they live. Yeah. So we should really make, I, I think we should make healthcare federal. I think we should run it federally. Oh, I agree. <laughs> it's running it provincially, at least from a cost perspective, makes no sense. And the problem is, yeah. is that it's going to eat our budgets. It's going to eat them alive. It's already, well, especially, especially for New Brunswick and Nova Scotia. And, and I don't know a lot about PEI, but presumably they'd be in the same boat. PEI is like, bad. Um, actually, the one that's most trouble is Newfoundland. Yeah. Okay. Really. Yeah. Even with their oil. Even, well, no. The problem is oil prices have fallen through the floor, so they're now right. they're they they stabilized their their uh, their finances during the boom, but yeah. now that it's falling, it's going to hell. And they they're actually they their debt uh, debt to GDP or sorry, debt per person in Newfoundland is was the same as Ontario, and Ontario is terrible. And the problem is, is that they're now going to run a deficit for the next couple of decades unless oil prices go back up. Right. Which is probably not going to happen. Yeah. And then we could see a doubling of their, their uh, debt per person in like the next 20 years. That's crazy. So like what, what provinces in Canada are in good shape? Uh, Saskatchewan, British Columbia, Saskatchewan and Alberta are both like right around even. Well, Alberta is, doing a lot worse like they've gone into deficit yeah. spending for and, and there, there's no path out yeah they've been the deficit spending since the oil crash in 2014 yeah so so this is the thing so they're, they're now they're now in the in the deficit but they, they were starting from like basically even they had no debt uh yeah. before the crash or very very little yeah um, they were out of debt they were in the black so basically most most of the provinces average right around where ontario is i i looked into it at one point just theoretically i was thinking like what what the hell happens if you know, all the, all the provinces kind of like stop being able to pay their debts. Cause obviously the, the, the feds would have to take it over at that stage. Right. Like, Which is, I think New Brunswick's ultimate plan. Yeah. But the thing like, is, I, I haven't I, looked at the recent figures, but not that long ago, it was something like we were $14 billion in debt with a $500 million deficit yeah. on a $12 billion budget. Yeah. It's like this, this, <laughs> this is not going to work in the long That's run. Like how, how do you survive this? Right? <laughs> and so you, you look, you, I looked across the numbers and, like you could bail out all the provinces to a, to the tune of like $20,000 a person. And I think only two of the provinces wow. end up with like, uh, without 
only two of the provinces end up with no debt at the end of that. That's shocking. So, and and this is purely because healthcare has is as a provincial uh, mandate because it, it literally is eating everybody's budget. And the thing that's is, that's crazy. You, I have a comparable amount of personal debt, and it terrifies me. Yeah. But I, I, I actually have double that because I also have the debt that I have to pay for provincial misspending. Yeah. Well, but it's not even misspending. That's the problem. It's often necessary spending. It's spending you can't be like, no, we're not going to do this. It's like, sure. Okay. But mismanagement, because like, it doesn't make sense to spend more than what's coming in. True. I mean, a from, a, from a uh, from a financially conservative span. The way that I've heard you lay it out, it's like for for a jurisdiction that doesn't have control over its own currency, it yeah. doesn't make a lot of sense for it to go into deficit spending. Yeah, because you you can't you can end up in a situation where you can't get out. No, there's not New Brunswick dollars. Yeah, you can't you can't bail yourself out at the end of everything. Versus, you know, Canada could you you you'd have to wipe out a lot of wealth, um, but you could bail yourself out. So most of the debts are held by either Canadian banks or, you know, Canadians. Like it's not, it's not a lot of it held internationally. So it's not, it's not that the money doesn't exist. <laughs> it's like these def these debts exist, but they, they're, they're owed with mostly within country. So it's not like the wealth doesn't exist to pay for them. Right. But it's just, there's no political will to actually go after and like, you know, for example, institute a wealth tax of some sort, which would be tricky as hell to put in place, but you know, would would potentially uh, keep things in line. Because the part of the issue with that is that the like the so called one percent in Canada, like the the super super wealthy, it's a very small group. They're not. Yeah, there's not a huge number of them. We're a relatively I, I small population up, as part of it. I found a list of billionaires in Canada, and it was it. Uh, it wasn't totally exclusive, but there were 100, and the 100th had, and it was it was ranked in order of net worth. Mm-hmm. The 100th had 1.01 billion dollars. So. so I can't imagine there are many more than 120 or 150 at the very billionaires most, yeah. in in Canada. Hmm. See, and they were all almost exclusively people who actually started a company that made something really worthwhile. Like it's not like they're just all evil financial. Well, that's that's good. (laughs) I mean, the nice thing about, uh, you know, inheritance is it's usually divided up amongst more than one person. So you tend not. It does tend to break up a couple of those. A couple of those, like the notable ones that you know of. um, But but it really was a small amount. Yeah. I'm not surprised, uh, honestly. Like, there's there's not that many billionaires even in the States. A couple thousand. Yeah. I mean, you'd fill a town with them. Like, it's not, not a huge number. Um, yeah yeah but the the whole thing is is like you know <laughs> you you look at taxes after a second world war <laughs> and you look at taxes now and you know the the upper upper echelons are are definitely taxed less now did you look at elizabeth warren's plan in the united yeah, states draw, push it up to 70 that would probably help a lot actually <laughs> i'm not i'm not, I'm not kidding. against it like i i don't think it's a terrible idea yeah I, I can't disagree with it. The problem is, is I'm not sure it affects. Uh, like, if you put it just on income, you you don't really accomplish all that much. You gotta you gotta increase the capital gains as well. Yeah, it's it's not gonna solve any of our problems. It might be fair, <clears throat> like you said, capital gains. I, I think a big one is inheritance. Mm. Um, like not like I think inheritance should be it should just be taxed like at a extortionate amount In- after say 
for five million dollars yeah or ten million dollars the, the only like i i in principle i really like uh those types of taxes in practice they're very easy to dodge yeah i'm sure they would be and that's like for example i had one example in uh, norway where they have a significant inheritance tax their billionaire family basically instead of passing it on to the children they just jumped a generation went to the grandchildren so you only had to pay the inheritance tax inheritance tax once instead of twice right right so like it can be dodged and modified and there's and it's too easy to hide and like look at what trump did like he's an example uh, of how you pass on wealth and his father gave basically had every excuse in the book to hand money to him all the way through it was obscene didn't he pay something like 50 50 million dollars in tax and like over a billion dollars or close to a billion dollars yeah at a time when the inheritance tax was like 40 or 50 percent it's impressive yeah, it's it's crazy it's crazy yeah. but i mean that's not necessarily a, a reason not to do it that's just those are just issues with executing it that have concrete solutions yeah i i would rather than an inheritance tax just have a standard tax on all wealth um, like we already do it for property, you know, we should just do it for everything. Um, I guess, I guess I just don't want to hurt. Like, I just don't want the government to take any of my money. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, don't I mean, know. the thing is, if it's a, Cause, if cause it's I, a percentage point a year, it. it's not gonna, it's not gonna, yeah. Okay. It's not going to kill you. Right. Like, ver- yeah, I guess versus, I guess. And, and then it occurred about per- but how much is that going to do a percentage point a year? <laughs> uh, well, let me put it this way. The amount of wealth in Canada is like 10 times the amount of uh, GDP. Yeah. Right. So if you get what like, I think, I think the way the really the way to uh, one way to get at it is uh, luxuries above a certain reasonable amount. Yeah. Should be tax extortion. Yeah. As well. I mean, that's another quite reasonable like, way of doing things because wealth isn't like it does i mean we started on pharmaceuticals and we're, we're trying to like we're, we're plugging back into like wealth yeah. money and stuff and, and and the ultra the ultra wealthy but like wealth doesn't money like a billionaire doesn't matter that they have a billion dollars until they until they make a demand on the economy yeah. by spending it. right exactly and then so they, and then they they demand to have goods and services allocated to what they're doing right so for example and jeff, that, jeff bezos a vanity project Jeff Bezos, he, almost all his money is tied up in Amazon. Like that—that's power, but it's not—he's not actually making any demands on the economy with it. You no, know, it's, it's just a force for good at the end of the day. Where it, as soon as you start to buy yachts, yeah, then you're a monster. <laughs> you know, <laughs> now you're actually doing. Like, stuff I mean, your second—if you want a yacht, buy a yacht. But like your second yacht, you're you're a monster. <laughs> Well, maybe. So it's because you, you, yeah. I mean, and there is some logic towards consumption and trying to tax consumption very effectively. Um, and actually, I guess, but like your second boat or like your fifth house isn't like useful consumption. That's where I'm saying, like, that's where you want the tax. Yeah, you want to be particularly extortionate in those particular places. But of course, people yes. can just move the yes. money out of country and do the extortionate stuff outside, right? But again, that again, that's a that is a concrete issue that has that has concrete solutions. You just have to fight that. Yeah. Yeah, well, except, except that they don't do as good a job of it as they should, even as is. As it, there's, this is one of the things that comes up again and again. Is like, okay, I mean, like these these things. I want, I want a, like, if you're gonna set up a tax, I want it to be unavoidable and like it's got to be something that almost as the system runs, the tax just happens. It's not something that yeah. can be dodged. It's not something that requires you to report anything. It's just like this happens. 
And like one percent on every purchase or or sale of a stock. Exactly, like something, something that would generate like a massive amount, and it would really take away from like short selling and other harmful practices. Well, not even short selling; it would keep those high frequency traders in check. That's that's what I meant to say. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, so I, I do want to get back to pharmaceuticals because that was yeah, actually it. what we were trying to talk about. Yeah, um, for sure. For sure. So I will digress back to that. The um, what I wanted to go on about actually today was. So pharmaceuticals, when we talk, talk about medications, there's, there's kind of two classes. Um, so you have your uh, medications that are new, recently put out. They're, they're still under patent, all right? So, you know, the, the company has invested a huge amount of money researching the drug, um, getting it through all the approval processes and everything that has to go along with that. And that process costs billions and billions of dollars, Um and the end result is you end up with this drug. And the trade-off for all that investment that they make is that we give them a patent. So they are they have exclusive then, use. Of- I mean, it also should be pointed out that for a lot of those drugs that actually work, a lot of them don't. Yes. And they still cost a lot of money. Yes, this is also true. So, you know, there's there's medications which, you know, we have old medications that have are no longer on patent that are generic that often work, you know, like there's like a 10 point scale they're like a 9 out of 10 and the new drug is a 10 out of 10 but the new drug costs you know 100 times as much or 1000 times as much uh, so do we just give people a 9 out of 10 and say like like tough and so like, and so this is the argument it's like do do we um like what i what i think is kind of the 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 system we should run into is that generic drugs we should just cover and do it centrally uh, because there's there's problems with generic drugs as well right now. And actually, this is what I wanted to talk about specifically. Because, you know, these high-end new drugs that are very expensive, they, they are under patent. Like, we gave them a, a monopoly for a reason it's so that the drug discovery continues to happen. There There's a logical system in place for that. But generic drugs, they are now off-patent. Anyone with the know-how can make them and then sell them. And some of them are like things that everybody goes on. Like we're talking about like statins. We're talking like statins. Warfarin. We're talking aspirin. Like, we're talking, yeah. you know, metformin. <laughs> like, yeah. There's a lot yeah. of medications in this class of generic. And the problem is, is that at least in Canada, we pay the highest rates for generic drugs on earth. That's crazy. And, and so you're saying, I mean, we could either cover them or the government could just make a like a statin factory. Yeah. Well, and this is just it. Well, you don't even, they don't even need to make the statin factory. They just have to do central bargaining. They have to say, well, we're going to need, you know, sure. we're going to need a million doses of this. We're going to need a billion doses of this. We're going to need. Who's the lowest bidder? Who's, you know? okay, we're going to, this is a whole package of drugs and whoever's the lowest bidder, we're just going to give it to them. Yeah, and they have to yeah. supply it as, as required by the contract. And a lot of countries do this. Um, New Zealand and Australia both do, and they their drugs are some of the cheapest <laughs> in the. And so world. and so, really, we could just copy paste their whole oh yeah system. We could totally steal it because what's happening right now is that it's it's completely it's chaotic, and the problem is is once again, nobody in the system has any incentive to decrease the cost. So what's happening right now is a lot of the pharmacies are getting rebates. Now, these rebates are illegal in Ontario, but are still legal in most of Canada. Okay, so uh, pharmacies are getting rebates. Rebates. So what happens is, is that the generic drug manufacturer comes to the pharmacist and says, oh, we want you to carry our drug. And the pharmacist goes, oh, okay. 
um, I've already using this other drug. Why, why should I use yours? And they go, well, okay, well, we'll give you, we'll, we'll, okay, so this pill. We'll give you $10 for every $100 of this drug that you sell. Oh, no, it's better than that. <laughs> so you, you, okay, so this, this pill, uh, it costs us, you know, 10 cents a pill to make. Um, we'll sell it to you, uh, at, you know, instead of 10 cents a pill, we'll do it at a dollar a pill. And then you can mark it up to $2 a pill. And then we'll give you 50 cents out of the dollar that, that, that you're paying us. So the pharmacists are getting like, so buy from us versus this other person that you're right. Because we're going to give you this nice. And so, and so they're encouraging them. They're encouraging the pharmacy to push this pill on customers. Right. Is that what the issue is? Yes. And so the problem is, is that these, like the, again, the, the customer doesn't get a choice. They, they only get this one pill and worse that they're, they're usually paying this prescription cost, not out of pocket, but from insurance. So they don't even care what you, the cost but, is. But when you walk into a pharmacy with uh, a prescription, like you need, you need that molecule. Yes. You know? Yeah. But there's the, like, the point is, I is don't that walk it's, in and they don't sell me warfarin. I'm a 28 year old man. No, they won't do that. Uh, and so what's wrong with this system necessarily? It's just that they sell them a more expensive generic. Right. Than... So, so the thing is that these generics should cost 20 cents each after. So it should cost, you know, 10 cents to manufacture, uh, five, five cents for the marketing, and then five cents extra at the pharmacy. But they sell them for $2 because... They can. Right. And because they have control of the market and nobody's able to really say no. But then why doesn't somebody come in and, and sell it for, if they're selling it for $2, why doesn't somebody sell it for eighty? So the problem is, is that it's a controlled environment, right? So the, the, and so if, if, uh, if like a, you know, um, you know, the, the no name brand statin comes in, the pharmacy isn't going to carry that because they're not getting kickbacks from that like they are exactly. from the Cadillac Ex- statin. Exactly. It's okay. not even the Cadillac statin. It's it's the same damn medication. It's the exact same. Often well, you yeah, can buy them different. from, they're often exactly the same medication. Like you, the, you're buying it from the manufacturer identical. It's just this marketing company is in between. Yeah. It's a GMC versus the Chevy statin. Basically, yes. They're basically yeah. identical. There's no difference. It's the same. Well, yeah, they are. It's the same. It's the identical compound. Yeah. It's literally, here's this Chevy that's just been run through this system, and now we're going to charge you three times as much for it. And call it a GMC. Yeah, exactly. They're built in the same factory. Yeah. Anyway, that's why. Yeah, yeah. That so ver- that would be a very good comparison, yeah. So this is, and it's, as I said, this process is illegal in Ontario, and it's happening anyway. Um, uh, so. Okay. But, like. If it's illegal in Ontario and it's happening anywhere, anyway, like what, where is it happening? And like call the police. Yeah, you, you, know? you would think. But the problem is, is that the uh, government isn't really uh, paying much attention to it. Like literally but it was like made. The justice system, like if somebody reports a crime to the cops and the cops arrest it and then the crown prosecutor prosecutes it. Yeah. Isn't that how. That's how it should. Our system that's how works. it should work. The problem is this is, this is a white collar crime, right? So. You gotta first of all have it reported. You actually have to gather the evidence, and they do try to hide these rebates in marketing things, right? So you'll we'll say, oh, instead of just you know, instead of just giving you a rebate check, we're gonna set up this little stand in your pharmacy with our medications on it, and we're gonna pay you a five thousand dollars a month marketing fee for that. Okay. 
But like, it's not like the Mounties are pro old people spending too much on no. prescription drugs. No. Like why did they, are, is this just not on their radar? It's just not, like, no, it, and that's just it. It's like, these are like, you're, you're talking about pharmacists here. And also every time the pharmacists, uh, get like once, like if there's any pressure to actually do this, they, they actually, when they tried to, when they made it illegal, there was actually a, all the pharmacists were up in arms because, you know, it was going to cost them their golden goose. Right. 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 So, but like, cause like, I feel like this would be very easy to catch people with, like with a sting. Well, yes. You know? And this is, and actually there was a really good program done on the fifth estate just in the last month about this very subject. And they, they, Oh, well, that's, that's good. So it's getting, well, it's actually getting some play, but like the thing is like, you, we like, you'd think there should be like letters to the editors saying this is an outrage because it's costing, it's probably costing Ontarians about a billion dollars a year. Right. Right. And so you're saying rather than like <laughs> deal with these individual crooked practices by pharmacies and pharmaceutical companies. We should just institute a pharmacare program that deals with generic drugs. Yes, absolutely. On a drug by drug basis. And just, and just, you know, um, puts out bids for compounds that like 80% of the, I, I bet it's like an 80, 20 situation. Oh, yeah. Like 80% of people use like 20% of the drugs. And so if we just, make those or put out bids for those 20% of drugs. We save, we save everybody a bunch of money. Oh yeah. I mean, but you could literally, you could pile it in. So it's just like, we just want all the drugs covered that we're going to need for the year. And yeah, it's going to cost a little more, but then everybody has their generic drugs covered and no one has to sweat it anymore. And, and it would save everybody a big pile of money. And it's not even that complicated. It's not like, uh, it's not a thing that the government, like government's not very good at a lot of stuff, but this is one of those situations where, the cost of bureaucracy is definitely less than the cost of than the cost of corruption Yeah, in this situation. So I, I think they should be doing something about it. I hope they do something about it. Uh, we'll see if it ever, ever ends up happening, but. And so like, what, what are they, what are the concrete plans by the different uh, political parties on this issue? Surprisingly, not that much because the, the problem is, is like, so you, you'll hear from the NDP saying, oh, we want pharmacare, but they don't yeah, just rest- they say that all the time. Yeah, but they don't rest- they don't restrict it just to uh, generic drugs, which is problematic because as soon as you extend it out to the patented drugs, the cost of this thing goes through the roof. Right, because the NDP is just going to spend any amount of money to give anybody two more weeks of life. Yeah. Well, maybe. <laughs> they, I'm just exaggerating. But, but I'm exaggerating. Where the like the conservatives are, are more on the the side of like it's it's too expensive. Period for us to be trying to get into this. Right. We already spend 11 percent of our GDP through. We run that through government bureaucracy. Yeah, and we can't afford it anymore. And I think there's a middle ground here. It's like, look, we can we can easily do generic drug programs. It would save us a giant pile of money. It would be worthwhile. Um, and it's just, it's like a guarantee that everyone's going to have at least this level of care. You're, you're guaranteed. Like there's going to be these high end new drugs. that a small number of people are going to need, but for the vast majority of us, the, the, the Cadillac will do, it'll get us, it'll get you 90% of the way. It'll get you yeah. most of your life. Like, you know, or the Toyota rather. Yeah, exactly. The Toyota. <laughs> like, what, the why, why worry about the, or yeah, not the Cadillac. Yeah, why, yeah. why get the Cadillac when the Toyota will do, right? Yeah. So, okay. Just cause I'm, I'm a healthy 28 year old man. And so I don't know a lot about this. If I get some random weird cancer of the duodenum, like, do I have to pay for my own chemotherapy? Like, how does that work? Uh, if you have the means, yeah, you would have to potentially pay for it. If it's, 
if it's not covered uh, through something else. Like if you don't have if you don't have uh, medicate medical insurance, like medication insurance, um, through your job, yeah, potentially you would have to pay. Right, right, yeah. but you don't have to pay for the medical care itself. Right. So do you run into a situation where people just choose like radiation over chemo? Um, I bet that's happened actually. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I mean, some of the higher end drugs you, you can't get except at a hospital. Uh, so you don't have to necessarily pay for those ones. Like in hospital medications are covered oddly. Uh, well, that makes sense. Yeah. I guess. So like, yeah. So if you're in a hospital, if you're admitted, you, your medications are usually covered. If, but if you're going to a pharmacy and you're out in the community, you pr- pretty much have to pay for it. Um, and it can be pretty nasty because if you've got, uh, you know, there's things like Crohn's disease and uh, a number of autoimmune conditions that are really, really nasty. They affect young people as well as older people, but they, you know, a lot of people get diagnosed in their 20s. And I was on Accutane. So Crohn's is just a back of the mind fear because yeah. it's a possible it's a possible side, side effect. effect not that i've had any symptoms that would be believe, <laughs> believe me you would notice <laughs> yeah um and then i would just try to do wim hof breathing to try to get it <laughs> to try to cure it but uh, so there's a there's a number of generic medications which treat these autoimmune conditions but there's recently been a whole bunch of brand new ones that have come out that are like and are patented and cost a million dollars yeah but they work really really well so there's right. a lot of people who are on them. Um, once, right. like if they fail treatment with the cheaper stuff, we, we move them up. But yeah, it's, it's, you know, like these costs still exist. And so it's like, how do you, how do you get around handling it? And this is, and this is just it. Like there's money to be saved here. It's already expensive. We'll save everybody money. Like this, like, I don't understand why people view expenses that you don't have a choice about to be as bad as taxes. Yeah. <laughs> or not not yeah. that they're not as bad as taxes somehow. It's like, look, if the ta- if you're going to get taxed 10 bucks a year instead of paying 20 bucks a year for medication, you're better off. Like yeah. why why wouldn't you do that? And I mean, there is a certain thing. There's something to be said for uh like the so- a social good for it that like the market's not going to take care of. Oh yeah, absolutely. And this and this is one of those situations where the market just it's it's not in its interest to make things work. Market doesn't care. No. Market doesn't care about people getting sick. Those people aren't productive anyway. So just let them die from like a totally neutral market standpoint. For, yeah, from a purely purely utilitarian. It's like, oh yeah, oh you you mean you mean we don't have to pay their uh, pensions anymore? Mill would have turned over in his grave for using utilitarian in that sense. Oh, just so you know. Yeah, I mean that's that's the problem. Like it's just John Stuart Mill would have said like, no, no, <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> taking care of people isn't is an end like that's a good that's an end that's, good. A, that's the reason that we're doing all this other stuff that's the reason that we're generating all this wealth is so that we can do these things yeah yeah exactly. honestly this is this is one of the things i honestly i've come down to one of the big differences between conservatives and liberals is conservatives are always focused on getting things done and people on the more liberal side tend to be focused on things that need to be fixed yeah and that's, I think that's part of the reason why people are always constantly talking past each other. Yeah, sure, sure. Because, that's a huge issue. Because, like, you know, the, the conservatives are looking going like, ah, we know it's a problem, but, like, look look what we're going to have to do to fix it. Like, are you crazy? And the liberals going like, but this is this huge problem. What do you mean about cost and money and all this doing it? We got to, this is a huge problem. 
You you'd probably enjoy the road to serfdom. I do recommend you pick it. I, I will. That's that's what Hayek says in like the first page. He says like the 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 uh, the dedication is to socialists of all parties. Just saying like everybody is in on this program of trying to make life better for people. Yeah. There's just art, different arguments about how to achieve that goal. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Mind you, I, I think there's also some fairly uh, far far right-wing people <laughs> who are really strong on the economic side of things who are like, ah, you know, oh, they're old. Let them, let them die. <laughs> it's like, this, like <laughs> they, they really, it is the, the, the I've got mine perspective. But that's a very fringe. <laughs> yeah, I know. The problem is there's enough of them that it's 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 a it's a voice that's out there. I guess. I guess. I mean, I I tend fairly, having been a socialist at one point in my life, I tend fairly libertarian. Hmm. Um, just because, like, everything the government does is is coercive. It's like it's incompetent, it's expensive, and it's coercive. Mm-hmm. And so you want to limit how much it can interfere in my life but there are also certain times where like like i said before nothing is going to do it like no one's going to take care of old poor people yeah except for the government yeah so unless we collectively choose to do so exactly and yeah and that's and this is why i'm a centrist (laughs) at the end of the day it's like we still need to do these things these things are important uh it doesn't mean there aren't situations where you want to like back off like the dying process drives me nuts because people, like, like you can have situations where a person is, you know, has you know abused their body with drugs or alcohol. They're they're falling apart. They've already maybe kind of expressed a wish not to really do anything, but then when the money is down on the table, it's like, oh well, you're getting sick. Do you want us to send you to tertiary care? And they answer yes. What is tertiary care? So tertiary care is sending you to like an intensive care unit um, where you're getting 24-hour care by doctors and nurses, uh, where you've got like... Oh, okay, what I, what I, what I call that intensive care in, in my non-medical Yeah, use. intensive care would be a better way of... So tertiary is intensive would be a, be a good way of describing it. So okay. yeah, you say, well, you know, you're in trouble. Do, do you want us to try to bail you out? And a lot of people will answer yes, even though you get they get nothing out of it, and it can cost a horrendous amount of money. Like, if a guy ends up in hospital for six months and then dies at the end of it, having never been able to wean off a breathing tube, have you accomplished? Then what anything? have we bought for those six months yeah. of terrible quality of life? Yeah, I mean, and the, and the thing is, is, like you you do the math as to what that costs, and it's like, oh, that's like five hundred thousand or a million dollars. That's wild. Right. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, just to have someone that if that person were an animal, the, the merciful thing to do would be to put them down or just let them die. Right. Yeah. Like, well, yeah, sure. Yeah. Like, and this, and there's this concept of, uh, there's a concept called medical futility. It's like, you know, there's a point where you're supposed to be like, no, we're not doing anything else. But the problem is, is doctors generally <laughs> are pretty like, let's save people point of view, even when it's maybe not, best possible choice or i think it's because we as a society as a culture rather like we've lost the framework with which we deal with human consciousness and death yeah and so and so we treat it as an absolute Mm -hmm. and so as a it, it, it as it stands as an absolute in the way that 
in like the atheist materialist mm-hmm. cultural default, yeah, then that you want we to start doing to really twisted things to keep people from dying. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's funny because if you actually, I I read another very interesting article article uh, that was kind of looking into how doctors end up dying, and the doctors almost always turn down most of the extra extra. Yeah, like, sure. They, they, cause they, they have the experience and the knowledge to choose to go with dignity. Yeah. Saying they like, and this is the thing, like you get the experience just working in the hospital for long enough. It's like you, you can see when somebody's dying, you, you know, when they run out of available options. Like, I mean, occasionally they surprise you, but generally speaking, when somebody's that sick, it's, it can be tricky to get them back. Um, and, you know, the other thing is when, when I, I feel a lot different when somebody has chosen, like they've been given the opportunity to get off the train, like, you know, like they, again, like the alcohol and drug one is a perfect example. Like they have been given repeated opportunities to get off the train and potentially live for longer. And they have repeatedly chosen not to do that and keep going back to the hard life. And then when they're finally ready to die. Like their body is finally giving out. Yeah, there has to be a certain level of personal responsibility like, there. Do you, when when do you st- when do you just stop? Like when do you say okay? Like we're gonna bail you out and bail you out and bail you out. But like, w- at what level do you give up your? Wh- at what level should you stop doing things? When should you be like okay, we've we've done all we can reasonably do. Anything we do here is just gonna result in nothing beneficial for you or anyone else. So we're just gonna stop. Yeah. Anyway, I actually, well, I of, you know, of all the things I like about the most, or of all the things I like about the recent political changes, the um, medical assistance in dying has actually been a pretty nice thing. Um, so we're coming on forty-five minutes here, um, and we're at the the conversation topic's actually starting to change to be pretty adjacent to the second topic I wanted to talk about oh, tonight. Okay, what was, do you want to do? You, do you want to? That was the uh, like. Uh, human consciousness and whether or not we're going to learn anything once we start uploading it. <laughs> if we can, um, if we to, could even upload it. If we could even upload it. Yeah, well, that's but that's going to teach us things, whether or not we can. Do you want to stop this and start a new one? Sure. Sounds good. Okay. That was a good, 